Good morning. It's good to be back again. Um, we were on vacation last week. Uh, I, you know, I didn't bring my laptop and do the PowerPoint this morning because I didn't realize it until after, but two weeks ago when I brought my laptop and did the PowerPoint, I forgot to change it, and so it never happened up there at all. I was looking at all the PowerPoint here on my screen, and everyone else was just looking at the, the tree. Um, and so I said, man, <laughs> that, was, that was a drag, but hey, that, that, that's not the reason, but I thought it sounded good. Uh, Romans chapter 3. We're going to be looking from verses 21 to 24. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and they'll get one to you. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 21, Paul writes and says, verse 21 he says, But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Went to verse 25 anyway. Paul had laid a foundation in chapters 1 and 2, explaining what we know as the depravity of man, our, our bent towards sin, our bent towards what is wrong. He, he gave a list of things. In chapter 1, verse 29, he says, they've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. He kind of gives us a list of the nature of people. And he's talking specifically in chapter 1 about those who are outside of the nation of Israel, but just so that they don't feel left out. In chapter 2, he says, you who judge another, you're guilty as they are. Do you think you can escape the judgment of God just because you condemn them and don't recognize what is taking place within you? And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And he says to them that there is a stubbornness and an unrepentant heart. And, and so he levels the playing field and tells us basically that there is the same remedy for both the Jews and the Gentiles. And that's why he says in verse 21, he says that a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference. There's no preferential treatment. Whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, you still have this faith in Jesus that is enough doesn't matter where your ethnicity is. 
It doesn't matter what country you were born in. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter your economic status. It doesn't matter. All you need is faith in Jesus Christ. And so he gives us this level playing field where we all begin. And if we're going to start at this level playing field, we need to know where we really are at. And so he just brings it home and he says in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a very popular verse. It's one that is really setting again the foundation of this epistle. And that is the recognition of our condition. Jesus said it this way, it's not the healthy that need a physician, but those who are sick. And unless you recognize the sickness of your soul, what can be done for you? And Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. Now, I want to talk about the meanings of the word sin as well as the glory of God and then go on to the latter portion of these verses. When I hear the word sin, and, and I imagine it's the same with you, when I hear the word sin, I automatically think of things that are done wrong. You know, what's a sin? Murder, that's a sin. Well, yeah, it is, but you see, my mind goes to a sin is something that you do that is wrong. But the word sin means to miss the mark. It's actually a term that is used in archery that if you would miss the bullseye, it would say you sin. And that's why the, the latter portion of the verse, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, the idea is here is the bullseye, but everyone misses it. You don't quite get to that point. And so sin is not just the things that you do wrong. It's missing the target. What's the difference? Well, there's a big difference. We are told in James 4.17, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That means it's not a matter of just doing the wrong things. It's failing to do what you should do. You are supposed to hit the target, and if you fail to do that, then you sin. And I, I think we under estimate what it is our condition is really like. Because we tend to, to grade on a scale. You know, how bad am I? Well, you know, if I'm on the curve, there's, you know, these axe murderers and, and those people, and so I'm looking pretty good if I compare to them. But you see, it's not just the things that you don't do. It's what you are failing to do. And the idea is that you've been created in the image of God to represent him. And if you're not doing that, then you're in sin. Your life is missing its mark. It's missing the potential of what you were created for. And so it, it's not just what you're not doing, it's what you're failing to do. And then he goes on and he says have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, what is the glory of God? Well, the glory of God is his holiness, his perfection. And so if we fall short, 
we miss perfection. We are aiming for this, but we are hitting something less. And throughout the scriptures, there is evidence of our condition and the necessity to recognize it. In John's gospel, Jesus said in chapter 3, verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And, and so Jesus tells us that he didn't come to condemn us, but to give us life. And that life is available through him. And that's that level playing field. Anyone who has faith in him has this life. If you don't put your faith in him, in Jesus, then you stand condemned already. You've missed the mark. You are not meeting the requirements that are held for our life. You've sinned. And you're living, basically then, the verdict is you're living in darkness because the light has come into the world, Jesus, but you haven't put your trust in him. And so instead, you're living your life for yourself and you're thinking you're good enough, but you're missing the glory of God. You're missing what you were created to be. You're missing what God desires for your life, and you are falling short. And yeah, sure, it may be some things that you do, but it may also be things that you're failing to do. And I think our eyes need to be open to what God desires for our lives. It's not that we would live a list of rules and regulations. Verse 21, it says, it's a righteousness that is apart from the law. In other words, you're not going to be right before God by doing things. You're going to be right before God by believing in his son. Because there is nothing that you can do that can hit the target. It's, it's too far. It's too high. It's beyond your potential. Our human condition is tainted, is broken. And we have to recognize that. And God's desire is to recognize, for us to recognize what he has done so that we can now live lives to the potential he's called us to and hit the target. And he's going to show us how to do that. He goes on and he tells us in verse 24, after he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it doesn't end there. There's a comma. There's not a period. This is continuing. Everyone who's on this level playing field has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Now, again, this is the good news. We are justified freely by grace through Jesus Christ. Do you guys know the difference between justified and forgiven? There's a difference, and it's an important difference. If you're forgiven something, it means they don't hold you accountable for what you've been forgiven. But if you are justified, 
It's as if you've never done it. For example, I'm driving a, a 2004 Toyota Tacoma truck. It kind of came upon me through my son. My son and I went and, and went to the credit union and we, we got the loan out for this truck and I signed my name and he signed his name. I had credit, he was establishing credit. So we got the truck. Well, some incidents has happened where he was no longer able to work. He couldn't afford the truck. He had to go to school. We let him drive the truck to school, but he couldn't make the payments. We had another incident with another car that another son had an incident with. And so we, lo we lost that car. And so this truck became a necessity for, for my livelihood as well. And so because he couldn't afford the truck, I ended up driving the truck. And then he moved out of state. And so I've got a truck. Funny how those things work out. Now, my son has not been paying for the truck for a number of years now. I can testify to that. But he is still getting credit as if he was. Because his name is on the contract. And so when they look at his credit score, hey, he's made payments on this truck every month. I know, I got to get past this, you know. <laughs> but what's happened is it's not as if, well, we forgive you your debt, don't worry about it. He is being credited for something he did not do. That's different than being forgiven, that's being justified. And you see, what Jesus does. He justifies us. We are in the condition. We are broken. We are under sin. We've missed the mark. We fail to do what we are supposed to do. We fail to reach what we're supposed to reach. We do things that we shouldn't do. We don't do things that we should do. And Jesus says, I've got it. And it's like he takes the arrow from the ground because it totally missed the target. And he picks it up and he puts it right in the bullseye. And he says, there. He got a bullseye. I, I didn't get a bullseye. No, he justified it. He made it just as if you never missed. What would you do if you had a clean slate? If your life right now, today, this morning, started off where you have done nothing wrong, how would you live? If your past did not hinder your future, if today you could start all over again, all those things you've done, all the stupid mistakes, the people you've hurt, the things you've done to yourself, the damage that you've caused, what would you do if right now it was as if it never happened? How would you live? Jesus says, here's the keys, go for it. I'm setting you free from those things. It's just as if you've never done them. But what we tend to do is hold on to those things. 
Jesus says, no, you hit the bullseye, and you say, no, no, I didn't. I remember it hit the ground about 100 yards from the bullseye. It wasn't even close. Jesus says, no, I, I fixed it. You did. No, you know, when I was 12, you know, I, I, I did these things I shouldn't have done, and then I, you know, my mom was mean to me. I'm just using it for an example, Mom. You're not mean to me. I've got to be careful. I might not get dinner sometime. And we hold ourselves back when Jesus says, no, I fixed it. You've got a seven-point-whatever credit score. I don't know what perfect is, but is it 8.0? 800? You've got 800 on your credit score. Really? Yeah, I fixed it. It's just as if you never defaulted. It's just as if you've never stopped making the payments. It's just as if you've been right all along. And you see, this is the good news. This is what we celebrate by acknowledging the work of Jesus Christ is that he has made us justified in the eyes of God so that God can look at you and look at me and say, yeah, their credit score is perfect. You see, my son could say, no, it can't be perfect. I haven't made a payment for years. It's okay. Jesus has. But you don't understand my, my condition, and you don't understand how I, I failed. No, you don't understand. I've fixed it. You're clean. Move on. How freeing would it be to be able to move on? To be able to say, I start anew. Corinthians tells us if any man or woman is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. Well, you know, some things are new. But some things are still the same. All things are new. Well, what does it mean? I, I still, you know, have this craving for coffee. You know, that's not changed. I've become a new creation. You know, when is that going to stop? You don't understand. He, what he's talking about is your credit score. What you are before God is as if you were right on. That should free you. That should free me because that's what God has intended it for. We are justified freely by his grace. The redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, redemption, that's not a term we use a whole lot, you know, except for our, when we take in our aluminum cans. You know, California redemption, and it's got the little symbol, you know, recycling. But the idea of being redeemed is something that we've kind of lost track of because redemption means buying back. And you see, we've been bought back. We've been redeemed by Jesus. He has bought us back. And, and so the idea, too, in this time was where a person who was involved or was a slave and... Basically, it was kind of like 
used cars. You know, well, I think I'll buy this one. Okay, I'm done with this one now. I'm going to trade in. I'll get a newer model or whatever. They would use people this way. Well, if you bought someone back, that means they belong to you now. We've been bought by Jesus Christ. We belong to him. He has purchased us so that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. We fall short by sin of the glory of God. We've been bought back so that now we can begin anew to glorify God in our lives with a clean slate starting right where we're at, not being hindered by the things of the past, being set free by the person of Jesus Christ, being empowered by his Holy Spirit to live a life that we could not live before. And all of a sudden, the target becomes within reach. Why? Because I'm so much better? No, because God has changed me. He has bought me. He has justified me. He has set my feet on a solid rock. I am now able to see the target. I am now able, by his grace, to hit the target and please God. Think about that. Pleasing God. The one who created heavens, how do you please God? The one who made Niagara Falls and, you know, the incredible things that we see in nature, the universe, forget Niagara Falls, man, that's like a drop in the faucet. I mean, the universe, the one who, whose majesty is just beyond our ability to comprehend and the idea that you can please him, that's overwhelming if you've had children you, you, your kids ever do something to please you you know they clean their room it's like it's that time of year I did it you know <laughs> happy Father's Day <laughs> you did that for your mom <laughs> that's not what I wanted and they come up to you maybe they've made something you know I, I still remember, my mom still has in a shoebox somewhere some of the things that I made when I was in kindergarten. I made a Christmas tree out of some clay, and it doesn't look anything like a Christmas tree, but, you know, I, I did it to please her. You know, and your kids come up and they're smiling, and they want you to be happy. And you look at that and you think, oh, man, I take pleasure. You tried to make me happy? That's so cool. Thank you. What is it? And there's a joy just because of who they are and the relationship you have. And we have a relationship now where we can please our Heavenly Father. Incredible. And so we don't take this lightly. So we don't forget what was done to bring us into this place. He goes on and he says, in verse 25, God presented him, this is Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. Might say atoning sacrifice. An older translation will say propitiation, which is a word we don't use. Through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. An atoning sacrifice 
there has to be a payment for what was wrong. There's a story that I read that is, it haunts me still. It happened 20-some years ago. There was a man named Robert Hardy. He lived in Tyler, Texas. And one night, he got up out of bed, going to go down to the kitchen to make himself a midnight snack. You know, just got a little craving for ice cream or something. And so he thought he would head downstairs and go to the kitchen. And as he's walking downstairs, he passed by the nursery where his three-month-old son was there. And he peeked his head in the door just to check in on his son. And the bassinet was turned over. He was alarmed. He, he ran to, back to his wife in the room and said, you know, where's our son? What, what's going on? Did you... Do you know what happened? And she was alarmed, didn't know what happened, so they both got up, panicked, frightened. And as he ran downstairs, he saw something that took the life out of him. There in the living room was his pet python, 12 foot. It had gotten out of the terrarium, had moved the glass out, had gone up into the nursery, and had taken the baby. And in the python, he could see the lump where his child was once. He lost it. He screamed. He ran to the back. He grabbed a splitting awl, and he went and he hacked up that python, just going crazy screaming. Uh, understandable insanity. Because of what this monster had done to his precious child. That is the picture of what sin does to us. God cannot wink at it. He's not a benevolent grandfather in heaven that says, shh, we won't tell anyone. It'll be our secret. Sin is killing his children. And there is a rage in the heart of God towards sin that is justice. That he cannot ignore because it moves him to wrath. Just like Robert was moved in this incident. And lest we take for granted what Jesus has done, we need to remember the price that was paid so that we could be where we're at. It's interesting, this word propitiation or atoning sacrifice, the word is helesterion. It's used five times in the New Testament. And most of the times... It's similar to what it is here that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice. It's used in 1 John. It's used later on in Romans as well. And it has this idea of taking the penalty. In Numbers chapter 21, when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness, they started complaining. 
saying, man, we don't have any bread. Man, it was better off in Egypt. What are we doing here? And, and God sent a judgment, these fiery serpents, it says, that came and would bite them and they would die. And the people cried out, Moses, we're sorry. We were complaining. We know it was wrong. We're sorry. And the Lord told Moses, I want you to fix a serpent made of brass and place it on a pole and hold it up so that the people, if they will look upon the serpent, then they will be healed. Now, what it was is a recognition of our condition. The serpent was a, a representation of sin from the garden, something they recognized. Brass is a, a metal that had to do with judgment. And so what we had there is sin being judged, placed up on this post, that if they would just look at it and believe that I had done wrong, I need to look to God for forgiveness, they would be healed. Jesus tells us that he was that serpent in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. I will take the judgment for you. I will be the atoning sacrifice for you. I will... Take the brutality for you because it can't be ignored. Justice must take place. One other time this word is used. And turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 5. It says, Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary, a tabernacle was set in. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had, been bu had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover or mercy seat. That word for mercy seat is the same word that's used for propitiation or atoning sacrifice. That mercy seat where the glory of God was, where the angels covered, was Jesus. And this is an incredible picture because if you were looking down from, from heaven, from God's point of view, and you saw this box, this ark, and in it contained these things, and, and part of what it was containing was the two tablets, the law, the, the regulations that we were supposed to live by, that we failed to live by, our judgment. And God, seeing those things, all of a sudden, that lid, that mercy seat, is placed over it and covers it so that the law is not seen, but mercy is over the law. And it's an incredible thing. There's some incredible things about the mercy seat. One is that God says you're not to make any graven images in heaven or in earth. And yet the mercy seat contained two cherubims. What's going on? Mercy overrides the law. God said, this is mercy. It's not under 
the law. It's over. Second thing is when the priest would go into the holy place to bring offering, he would sprinkle the mercy seat with blood. He would sprinkle it seven times. Why seven times? When Jesus went to the cross, his head was pierced with the thorns. Both his hands were pierced. His side was pierced. His back was open. Both his feet were pierced. Seven places in his body that were pierced. Jesus represents, or the mercy seat represents Jesus Christ. The wrath of God came upon him so that we could stand and have a clean slate, so that we could stand before God justified. But if you take that lightly, you don't realize what God had to go through, the pain that sin causes our Heavenly Father. What the death of Jesus really means. Then you're taking lightly what cost so much. And you see, God's desire is that we would be right with him. That's what righteousness is, in right standing. And he has justified us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he has redeemed us through this sacrifice. Why? Why? So that we could hit the target and walk with God and live the lives that we were created to live and be the people that God desires to be, that we would have this covenant now within our hearts, that he would be our God, we would be his people, and we would know him. And he would be evident not only in the things we don't do, but in the things that we do. Now, what's great, or I, I think is really neat timing, is we're going to have a baptism. And in Romans chapter 6, back to Romans there, Paul tells us, gives us a little glimpse, verses 1 through 4. Keeping this picture in mind of what Jesus has gone, the, the atoning sacrifice, remembering what Robert Hardy experienced when he saw that serpent, remembering the serpent that was raised up on the, the brass serpent that was raised up on the staff, remembering that Jesus took that punishment for us. Keeping that in mind, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, 
we too may live a new life. Baptism represents what is taking place in our lives. We are dead to sin. We can't continue to sin. How could we? With what God has done, the price he's paid so that we could walk with him, we're going to ignore that and make a mockery of that? We're going to take that lightly? God forbid. May it never be. How can I live where I am dead? But I can rise up in a newness of life that comes through Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to go out and celebrate later. And I hope you guys will stick around because what we are going to see is people saying, I understand this. Jesus took my penalty. I am acknowledging that when I go under the water. And my life now has been bought by him. And I'm going to come up from the water in that new life that he gives. It's a symbol of what's taking place within our hearts. And I hope we can celebrate that together because that's an incredible thing. Powerful. And to be able to acknowledge that. And I love that we're going to be out in the park. I don't know if you guys saw that big tub out there. That's the baptismal. And it's going to be fun. We're going to get to celebrate together what God has done in these lives. And if you're here this morning and you want to be baptized and you didn't come prepared, we have some extra towels. Just take off your shoes, give me your wallet, and we're good. (laughs) Don't let anything stop you from being baptized if God is moving you. If you want to identify yourself with what Jesus has done, recognize it and say, I trust the work you've done. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring for me. And the scriptures say that we love him because he first loved us. Our our love is a response to such an incredible love. And I pray this grabs our hearts and it changes our lives forever. How can I not serve a God who would do this for me? How can I not love you? How can I not desire to live for you? It's not just, well, what can I, what can I not do to get into heaven? Well, if I don't do this, this, and this, am I good enough? It's what can I do to please you? What can I do to bring you glory that your life might be evident in mine? That's what I want to live. And so no longer is it something that is constrictive, but it's something that is open and you're free. There's nothing that's holding you back. You've got perfect credit. What do you want to buy in this life? God desires to bless you. I want to have a time and respond to what we've just read about. God's goodness to us. And we're going to have a time where we're going to worship the Lord. And I pray that your heart would overflow with thanks. 
that you would recognize one of the things that's great about singing and worship is it involves our whole being. I have to think about the words that I'm saying. I have to involve my voice, my body. And so I'm worshiping God with all that I am. And it's one of the few times where we actually get to worship God with our whole being. Our hearts being moved by Him. Our minds thinking about the things that we're saying and our voices being lifted up to Him. You're free to stand up. You're free to go on your knees. You're not free to do cartwheels unless you can do them really good. But you're free to worship your God. And you're free to show it an expression by standing up, by raising your hands, by falling on your knees. You're free to worship your God here. And I want to have time where we can do that. And so Danny's going to come on up and we're going to have some time where we just sing. And I pray we'd use this time to just acknowledge what God has done for us as well as thank him for what he is continuing to do. And I pray that we would draw near to the Lord through this time. Father, you have answered the cry of our longing hearts. You have redeemed us. Father, you have given us a new life. And Father, in this life, we desire to bring you glory, to honor you with how we live. And I pray, Father, that you would continue the work that you've begun in us. Father, might our eyes be on the things above and not blinded by so many of the things in this world. Father, may we not lose our perspective. May we remember, may we be grateful. And Father, may our lives overflow with praise and worship to our God. We do love you, Lord, and thank you for this time. We pray you bless your people. Be honored within our lives. We ask it in your son Jesus' name. Amen.